When your break glass in case of emergency cabinet is just Bruce Arena's landline number, it's That's So MLS, a North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Hi, I was wondering where that one was going for a second. That was nice. Good, good rap. I was like... Oh, please don't, please don't make me fake a laugh here. But that was good. It was good. I got, I got it. I got there. Just took a moment. And, uh, and so does Bruce Arena, uh, who, even if he is not currently uh, involved in American soccer, uh, is never too many steps away. No, I saw a good tweet today that was like, when you asked for a stadium, but you got an arena. <laughs> forget who that was but person on twitter that was a good one um bruce arena is back mls original five-time mls cup winner um this is now i think the fourth mls original team that he's uh been in charge of uh in addition to the concern that we had you know, last week when we were talking about the, the revolution, the concern that a lot of people have is, well, what about the general manager once once you fire the coach? Well, they've also fired the general general manager, and Arena will be taking on both roles. Yeah, they've done them, done, done them dirty. Um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's anything at this point is a positive move. It's good to just see that they're making changes. Will Bruce Arena be the guy to turn it all around? We'll see. Um there's obviously some question marks over uh, the brand of soccer that he has become famous for, whether that's still something that can be relevant. I mean, my hot take is that, uh, you know, a good manager is always a good manager. doesn't mean he's necessarily going to be the best. It doesn't mean New England is going to all of a sudden be, uh, you know, the galaxy of old that was unbeatable. But I, I think at this point, you just need somebody who knows the league um, and can come in and put together some results and start building something for the future. Um, I don't see this as maybe a, a long-term project for Arena, but simply one to come in and, and provide some stability. Well, I feel like with him as sporting director, there's a, there's a great chance that this could be long-term. Um, the That's true. The, the, this was sort of his role um, to start his eight-year tenure at the Galaxy, um, was that he all they also had him replace two people to be the coach and GM. Mm-hmm. Um, the there aren't any there aren't very many. Peter Vermees is currently the only coach and GM in the league. Uh, a lot of people, because of Arena's history going back to '96, were like, "This is a very MLS 1.0 move." But I think that what gets lost in that is that like that LA Galaxy run where he won three MLS Cups was with was like right in the hot era of Beckham and Landon Donovan. So at mm-hmm. least at least MLS 2.0. Um, Paul Tenorio's column uh, for The Athletic was pretty good in, in noting that uh, the league is now like one third, is, is now like 30% TAM players. Mm-hmm. So it's no longer about sort of trying to find cheap domestic buys that can produce for you as much as it is learning where to invest that TAM appropriately. Yeah, and I I think that Arena still has a lot to bring to the game, and I think it's too easy to just get to see kind of the gloss of, you know, some some fantastic, but also, let's face it, inconsistent and uh, 
you know, up and down MLS 2.0 teams. Uh, obviously, Atlanta's fortunes are starting to shift, but, you know, in a league where, what, it's now three coaches have been fired 10 games in, uh, <laughs> I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea to bring somebody in that has some experience. And I, I wouldn't say that that especially considering Bruce Arena's experience, that that's all of a sudden irrelevant and not going to win his team soccer games. I, I think that's that's unfair to Arena and, and also just sort of foolish. Is, is it the most aspirational direction they could have possibly taken? No, but New England isn't a team that's going to go out and spend major cash on, uh, you know, a European or South American coach to come in, and that's probably okay. That's not necessarily going to lead to better fortunes so i think it's a, a good move for them overall that's especially not going to happen mid-season no um no you know it's really hard to find outsiders that can can thrive especially in the spring director role um it, with with the the byzantine regulations uh the mls has uh and that's always been the case the so the way that a lot of teams in orlando did this last year to, uh, go is to try and, and hire from within um, is the other way. So basically like that's the only other option than to find an experienced league coach like a Bruce arena arena kind of in his career either stays in a place for like six to eight years or longer um, or sort of washes out in a season or like, like in yeah. a season or two, they know, this ain't. This is not the the right fit. We're we're leaving. His last role was with the men's national team of the United States. Uh, How did that go? He was kind of. He was brought in. <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to say. He was the technically speaking the manager in charge when they didn't qualify for the World Cup. Uh, that was kind of after a panic fire of Jurgen Klinsmann. Yeah. Um, where they weren't really. Um, so it wasn't necessarily his team, but he also wasn't able to get results. Uh, I don't know that many people would pin all the blame on him. No, but... I, but, and I think he's coming into a fairly similar situation here in New England, which is where you may be right that this is a look to a little bit of the longer term. There's only so much he can do in this season, but uh, acting as general manager as well, you've got to think he's going to be looking at other coaching staff as well to bring in uh, probably their scouting networks and potentially making some summer moves. Um, and yeah, maybe he's able to, to make a run of it for a few years and, and bring New England back up. I mean, as an ownership, there still clearly seems to be some, some issues to address where they were sort of happy to leave this club out to dry. And I think that's what people are picking up on a little bit is, is arena maybe a bit of, um, an easier pick. However, I, w I would argue that just because you're taking somebody who has experience and whose most recent form wasn't electric doesn't mean that you're throwing in the towel and taking the easy fix. I mean, if they were going to do that, as you said, they could have just recruited within and basically thrown in the towel on their entire season. This is obviously mm. a signal that that's something that they're not prepared to do. It is. It is a little funny that that for the Galaxy and for the U.S. Men's National Team and for New England Revolution, it really is sort of the emergency coach. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. He's always... He's, he's, and let's face it, that's, prob that's probably not a role in which he thrives, right? I mean, he's, he's an incredibly talented coach 
who understands the game, and, and maybe those positions aren't giving him the credit he deserves. That being said, uh, I think even in his most recent time at LA Galaxy, he was able to start shifting them in the direction that they eventually continued on, um, and definitely has a, a little bit more of a complete vision of what a team can be. Absolutely. And, and it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I'm interested in the facts, as you, especially as you talked about, like, you know, bringing along other coaching staff, mm-hmm. that, um, that he becomes, he will become sporting director immediately. Um, but the technical staff at the team will remain in place until they think of a good date to do it by, which I assume will mean, which is not un, un, unheard of, that the interim manager will still be the interim manager uh, this weekend. Yeah. If they if they decide they don't want it if they they decide they want to uh, uh, continue if they if that seems like the best option to them at the time, which actually doesn't seem like the worst idea considering at the weekend New England uh, took advantage of their uh, their their change in era to the best of their ability beating uh, San Jose three one at home. Absolutely. Um, I mean, this was not a great game of soccer, let's be real, but it was a great result for New England that just needed some bit of good news, some ray of hope, and they will not at all be uh, sad that they got those three points and actually looked like a team. Overall, I think yeah. uh, they caught uh, a San Jose team just uh, a little off guard that is still a, a fairly easy side to break down, especially on counterattacks, which is more or less how... New England did this one. I, I think that's <laughs> it's two good counterattacks with a number of players streaming forward and then uh, a penalty kick. I mean, for me, the, the Revs' defense is still just diabolically one of the worst in the league, and that needs to be addressed. However, um, if they're able to start to grind out a few results by just sp- scoring some more goals, then that, that certainly seems to be a sign that they can at least scrape themselves off the bottom of the table. Mm-hmm. And it's almost funny this season because it it feels like last year or the year before, you based on where San Jose has been, you would expect that it's New England that is, you know, coming into a fixture like this looking looking for the easy the easy three points. Whereas this year it really has been the opposite. San Jose has played like a team with energy and in in New England has had nothing, uh, nothing to it. There, uh, but you're right. They got those goals on the counterattack. Um, there was the VAR goal, which I think is is one of a few uh, of the VAR penalty, which is one of a few this week where um, it seems like they're being very they've they've turned up the the sensitivity knob on on penalties for just. Uh, bumping around in a box. What's a sensitivity of? knob and where do I get one? That sounds lovely. <laughs> that That's I, okay to put sudden, in the radio cut, right? Yes. <laughs> sensitivity knob my... is still a kosher term. <laughs> I was thinking... Maybe not know. after that comment, but... <laughs> <laughs> sensitivity um, knobs on full blast. But I, for me, this was a clear penalty regardless. I don't get what the, the fuss was over it. it to me... When you go sliding in that with your arms in the air like you just don't care, uh, sure, it's not hand-to-ball, perhaps, but it's pretty egregious handball. I think I... I think I... 
I have it as an arm tie-up, so I didn't realize that it was a handball. Maybe maybe I thought that Colorado's was was a little bit softer. Um, oh, I'm, maybe I'm thinking of that one right. It's sort of it's sort of like the arms. He's getting a little bit dragged down, tangled. He's up. got yeah. his arms. It's 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 one of those ones like the he's got his arms in the other person's arms, so maybe he stopped them from moving. Yeah, uh, and, and he could have got into the position. Which the other two goals still, yeah. were were great execution from New England, but also like especially the third New England goal, the goal scorer was wide open while everyone was watching the other forward getting tackled. Yeah, everybody was waiting to see how that one was going to turn out, and then by the time that the ball comes ricocheting out. Um, there's no time to do anything else. No, and to me, I think that's, if we're going to create some nuance in our, our oft-repeated line of marking the far post, I think what's really behind the reason why the far post is usually open is I've seen this in a number of games now where uh, defenders are, you know, they're putting two or three players on the DP, <laughs> the fastest guy, and they're leaving the player coming running in completely unmarked. And so I think it's a little bit of zonal marking that's missing from some team's defensive repertoire that they're not watching runners coming in. I think that's how LAFC have been able to score so many goals is that, you know, if you've got three players covering Vela and maybe one on Diamande, well, you've got two or three other players coming in to join the attack who are making runs into the box and creating options. So uh, people need to be following their man in on the runs or they need to be doing better positional marking to see that those spaces are being left open um, because a player as good as somebody like Vela, um, and in this case in in the Revs forwards, they're able to find other players coming in. And New England, the one thing that they've consistently had is some pace. So it was good to see them execute that against San Jose. Speaking of three-on-one marking, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. let's know. talk about let's talk about Vancouver Portland let's do uh, that was another one of these games that the Whitecaps have had this year where uh, they grind out sort of a gritty one nothing win and, and this the, the one in this one nothing came nine minutes in um, Imbom sends a long ball in from the halfway line and it gets to Tiber and all of a sudden uh, Portland's three defenders all close on Tiber and leave Montero completely open. Which for me is is them not doing their homework because you know is if you're a Whitecaps fan, you know Tiber's never taken that shot. Tiber's always going <laughs> to look for the pass. No offense to the guy, mm-hmm. but um, he's very hesitant to shoot, except under extreme duress. Nine minutes in, he's never taking that shot. He's going to look to pass, and as you say, Montero's just completely unmarked. Um, did you uh, did you attend this game? What was your thoughts? I did, yeah. Um, I, I went to this one. It was a good Cascadia match. Um, you know, we may get to it a little bit in the later in the later stages of the the show. Um, attendance was definitely down. I I suspect that's not just a case of it being another Friday night game, but uh, I think attendance has definitely been hurt by the ongoing controversy surrounding the Whitecaps. There was another walkout at the 35th minute. The Timbers Army, the Portland Supporters Away group, also joined that walkout. Um, The the pressure on the front office doesn't seem to have really resulted in too much. Um, And it's created kind of a weird atmosphere that you've got two very different things happening. One story on the pitch and one story off that fans are so desperate to get behind the, the club on the pitch right now and see 
results, which for now I'll, I'll stick to that. Um, it was a really positive 20 minutes of play from Vancouver. And I imagine that was part of the game plan is just to come in and try to hit Portland early and then sit back and do some defending. Now, I'm kind of of two minds in this. And one is that it's it's awfully anxiety-inducing to continue to be a Whitecaps fan and have to sit through 60 to 70 minutes of defending and absorbing pressure. <laughs> However, this is something that the Whitecaps have not had in their toolbox in previous seasons, is being able to see out a one nothing lead and hold on to it. That's true! So as much as I want to be critical of certain elements of where the Whitecaps aren't just yet, the fact that they're able to take on a rival like this a rival who's uh, won a lot of games recently and is in form to get an early goal and to hold on to it. There were other positive moments of play. Um, they kept their heads. They were really getting under the skin of Portland and did a good job to kind of just do enough to rile them up but not get involved in too much of the on-field antics. I thought that this was a, a thoroughly professional performance from them and was as good of a result as the result against LAFC. Um, so um, it's, it's great I to see. Agree. I just want to see, like, if we're going to get these one nil victories, that's awesome. And can we put more of these performances together? And if we can do it against LAFC and we can do it against Portland, can we do it against our other opponents? So the, the midweek test against Atlanta tomorrow for me is going to be a big, uh, question, hopefully answered from the Whitecaps. Is that probably needs to be another 1-0 victory, that they're going to face another strong attacking side. They need to hit them when they have the moments, and they need to play a little bit calmer off the ball and defend the way they have been defending. What was your take? Absolutely. That's going to be a huge That's going to be a huge test. I think you're quite right to talk about the seeing out the one nothing because we've seen Whitecaps sides in the past that can um, give away a lot of, posi- of possession, like you know, do the sixty percent lose with uh, with forty percent or win with forty percent possession mm-hmm. um, deal, but that's a different that. But it's not always a one nothing in that case. And, and the number to to bring up in terms of you know seeing out this result is Portland had twenty seven shots <laughs> and only only five shots on target. So they were they tried to put so much pressure on. Um, but there was a high degree of shots that were off target or shots that were blocked, which, you know, to me speaks to that organization and, and, mm-hmm. and making them play the kind of game you want to play. And you talk about calm in Atlanta. Uh, I I just saw before we went on this, this Twitter video of Mark Dos Santos mic'd up. Yeah. And they're, they're tranquilo, editing. tranquilo, tranquilo, tranquilo. Gonna sign Tetsuya Naito from New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, but he's always talking about Kalma Kalma. He wants to he wants the team to to chill out a little bit and and think through the plan. And, and certainly that's something that benefits you when you play Atlanta too. Um, and I I quite like that video. I they they edit it, but they left quite a bit of stuff in. You can hear him. Uh, you can hear what he says to Giovanni Savarese, and you can hear what Savarese says back. Yeah. Um, you can you can hear him screaming at the referee, and then a second later in the video, go to the AR and say, "It's not about you. It's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not your fault." Yeah. 
No, I, I, I think that, um, you know, as we're beginning to see a little bit more of how he's managing, and I, I meant to say this with last week as well, or maybe I did say it, but I, it's worth repeating is that he's a player's coach. And, and what we're beginning to see is, uh, for the first time, Vancouver, I think, has a coach that's taking real responsibility for his players. He's wanting to get results with the players he has, not just constantly say, you know, we need to improve in certain positions and, oh, we're always looking. Those things are always going to be true. But it's clear that he, when he says he believes in these players, he really means it and he's really trying to get the best out of them. And when he said things about certain players, sometimes publicly, um, what we've seen from them is generally marked, markedly improved performances the next week. So when he's talked about the quality he needs to see from Venuto or from Las or from Montero or the work ethic from RDAs, we begin to see some serious changes when he's talking about those things. And that for me is another really positive sign is that he's working with the, the players he has and the system he has. And I mean, how can you expect players to get behind it and believe in it if you don't believe in it yourself? And I feel like that's the mistake that some MLS coaches make especially younger ones. MDS has a great pedigree, but he is still a young coach um, and young into his coaching career. And to be able to really back that system up with results and to be consistent in what you're telling the players. And you saw in the mic'd up video, he's saying it to Tyberts. He says it to Arise. Um, unfortunately, Arise looks like he's going to be out for a number of matches with an ankle sprain, but those are the players he's relying on in the midfield to start to calm things down, right? Inbaum is going to be a playmaker and he's going to be drifting all over the place. But when things start to get frantic and you've got the wingers that want to run at speed at defenders, you need midfield presence to just slow the ball down a little bit and calm the players around them down. And that's something, again, where we're seeing uh, the Whitecaps have been sorely missing at points. Yeah. Uh, another tight one nothing. Uh where the, the Cascadia rivals Seattle, who held the Houston to a one nothing, off of a just gorgeous shot from Roldan. Yeah, did he forget that he scored that goal last week? And <laughs> it was almost frame for frame the exact same humdinger from last week. Uh, I almost just put here in my notes, like, Christian Roldan likes to score that goal. Yep. He does it on five minutes. Uh, not a lot else kind of happens um, for the game. The I think that the thing that I look, uh, you know, 16-11 on shots, uh, fairly even on possession. Um, the thing that I really look for, I think, in a match like this is that we've seen so much um, that is impressive out of Houston. And we see Alberto Elise and Mauro Minotis, um Lighting up, lighting up sides, especially sides that aren't very good. Mm -hmm. um, so my my question going into a match like this uh, with a team that is right beside them on the uh, in the table is now what are they what they they have a high average level of quality, mm. uh, but how do they deal how do they deal in the head to head matchup uh, with with another contending team? And what's your uh, answer? <laughs> I felt this was a little. They, they didn't come up with a lot. Um, there's lots of time, obviously, but, but the next time that these two teams meet and the next time that they meet another contender, 
you're going to want to see more from Melisa Bonotis. I agree, but I will also say, like, going to CenturyLink, and, I mean, how many teams are really getting a lot out of those games? I felt like to go down so early in the match and hang on, granted, I, I like, I your point is accurate. I, I wanted to see more out of those attacking players as well. However, we know Seattle's a, a club that shuts teams down and really prevents those kinds of uh, breaks down the ring, down the wing, rather. Um so I, I thought that this was an okay result for Houston. Certainly, you'd think that there might be an away goal that they could have squeezed out of this one to at least come away with a point. Um, however, I, I think even last season, the bright spots we saw for Houston, you know, they might have come out of this one a little bit worse for wear. So the fact that they were able to hang on, still generate a few chances, and you know, at least not get completely blown out of the water away in Seattle, I thought was positive, but certainly I think um, Wilmer Carabrera will be a little disappointed that they didn't come away with a point from this one. In uh, the Western Conference, everybody uh, just, everybody is living in LAFC's world. <laughs> it's LAFC's uh, world and, they, and we're just living in it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, especially uh, after this 3 nothing win away in Columbus. Yeah. Just like how many times are we going to say K Diamande and Vela this season? <laughs> it's just like spin, spin a little wheel, and it's going to land on one of those three names. Sometimes more than once. Um, I thought that it was a nice K's first shot was quite nice. He's got a a, a ball on. Uh, he's got like a side footed shot that um, that everybody is asking. Was that actually a shot? <laughs> or did he hit it so deftly that he was intending it to be a pass? Um, the uh, you've you've got another goal uh, in the insurance. The insurance goal comes the uh, a back pass uh, for the two nothing goal, and then Vela has an amazing solo run and, and a, a great shot from the top of the box to seal things off. Yeah, from Columbus, you know it. It's I'm not too too worried about their season because they're they're still able to uh get results and they're obviously still a team that has something left to offer um and if it was goalkeeping errors then maybe we'd be a bit concerned but it 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 is a little bit of a head scratcher that they they just seem to be so uh anemic right now however against LAFC you kind of have to say well <laughs> We've said there's a way to beat them, but so far only one team has been able to do it, and that's Vancouver. So uh, not maybe a super surprising result and probably doesn't tell us too, too much about Caleb Porter's side, and he all but just kissed the ring of uh, Bob Bradley and said, well, <laughs> if you're going to do that, calling them the Man City of MLS, which I don't want to give any more airtime to because it's a stupid comment, but... <laughs> the result like this, it's kind of hard to argue. Well, I don't know with with Man City looking like they're about to get kicked out of the, the <laughs> Champions League say. over bad transfers. I don't know anybody wants to be the the Man City See, of, of any league. I think Porter's comment was a little bit more of a dig than a sign of respect, but that's just me. <laughs> uh, the uh, there was a video about it, and I, of course, you know there would be. Um, I think that this was a great outing. You know. It's it's whatever you uh, what what can you say in a three nothing loss? But I do think that it was a great 
performance by Joe Bendick. Um, yeah. As we move, as we move, move towards the uh, the Zach Steffen era, who I believe he was absent from this game for a foot injury, um, but mm-hmm. Bendick had some 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 belters of saves in this one. So yeah, not a bad sign. No, I th- I think. I, I still think Bendit gets a bit of a, a bad rep for, for giving up a lot of goals, and it, it's a little bit too easy to just blame it on the goalkeeper in this one. Um, I, I agree. I think Bendit is a good pickup for them. I think they're still going to be probably looking to add some depth there and, and challenge Bendit for that position. But Columbus's problem right now, again, it's not goalkeeping, right? So uh, I, I think that I'd love to see them do something for another holding mid and shore up their defense a little bit. Uh, they did make Zardes a DP this week in extending his contract, so they've made a signal of intention there. Um, they also picked up Zach St- or sorry, um, uh, David Akam. Yeah, in a in a kind of for me, what was a really surprising move? They also added David Akam to their ranks. It's interesting, especially because they sort of moved. Miramon, mm-hmm. and and we had discussed when Miram moved uh, initially uh, away from from Columbus last year that there was kind of like a um, like a, a a Zach sorry a, a Miram Miram Akam Ola Kamara and Kellen Acosta sort of like like class of like great MLS made attacking players that can't that sometimes struggle to find uh, a footing on teams mm-hmm. uh, so it's interesting that they sort of uh, having brought in Miram they move Miram again and then bring somebody in who who has had a pretty similar experience yeah I mean it, I think it's it's probably a smart move I was a little bit surprised that uh, that Philadelphia didn't want to hang on to him for a little bit longer however Philadelphia seems equal to the task right now. And I think Akam was just proving to be kind of surplus, right? So what is that? I, th- I think it says more about Philadelphia's form right now than it maybe does of Akam's. Um, but for me, yeah, there's still some question marks over Columbus and, and what they need to do. I think moving Justin Merriman was probably the right call. He hasn't settled back into that role, which he, he left. Um, Iguain's still playing great when he's when he's able to get on that ball but again i think that the the spine of the team here is still looking like it could use some real investment and I, again i think another strong holding mid player who who can play box to box might be on the shopping list for Caleb Porter Philadelphia as you said doing great for themselves uh in a tie at the top of the eastern conference for uh at 23 uh and they made their way to BMO field on Saturday and, and came away with the three points and a two one win over Toronto FC. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, I mean boy, does it feel validating or what how long have we been preaching the union gospel and Philly just keeps shoring up our comments. <laughs> it's great. It's great for us. Um yeah, just keep on stuffing them onions in the onion bag. They just love to score. Um this is great too because we saw you know, again, they've moved to come on, but we saw some depth here that this is a team that can have, have some rotation. They're so good on the break. Uh, I don't think they've often been talked about this season as a great counterattacking team because we've seen them slow games down and really hold possession. 
but they've got great pace as well. Um, such a great counter from Pico and the, and the goal. He's just able to drift inside of Mavinga to get that goal. Uh, mm-hmm. I just thought this was such a good, solid performance from them against a, a Toronto side that's that's overall been looking good. But, you know, Philly's sitting at the top of the table, happy as a clam. And it it seems like an obvious statement to say, but they're just making their lives so much easier for the summer when, you know, the games come thick and fast and there's travel involved and you start to drop points here and there. Philadelphia's just put themselves in such a good position that it means that um, they can try some things out. They can do some squad rotation that so that when the playoffs come, you know, if they drop to second or third, that'll be okay because they'll they'll be in a, a form where they've got multiple different ways to win games. I think they're already there. Uh-huh. To me, they look like the most complete team in MLS right now, outside of LAFC, of course. Um, that they just... If I'm looking at Philadelphia right now, I go, well, there's no real main issue that they need to address. They're able to, they play great on set pieces. They play great on the counter. They play great in possession. They play great out of possession. So they kind of just need to keep doing what they're doing. And they're going to be a a really strong contender in the playoffs. You know, and that's, that is something so strange to think about, to say of, of Philadelphia, of, they're one of the most uh, complete teams in the league other than LASC. Like, yeah. with, without too many changes from last year. Absolutely. And and that just goes to show we, we get these knee-jerk reactions sometimes that teams need to spend big or clean house. And sometimes they do. Sometimes that's definitely what's needed. But it wasn't the case for Philadelphia. Um, and, and it wasn't the case for a number of teams who decided to stick with largely what they had and continue to build on it. And to trust in Jim Curtin to continue to stay and just do the the job he's been doing and not panic because maybe they didn't end up exactly where they wanted to be last year. So it's not surprising. I I thought Toronto had an okay game. Um, Yeah. Pozuelo's hair is uh, a highlight for sure, but also (laughs) his cheeky free kick goal. He just seems hell bent on erasing the Giovinco name forever and just whatever you can do, I can do better. But just still not enough for them. TFC's defense for me just really kind of limped through this one again, and Philadelphia was happy to capitalize on it. TFC showed the, you know, ability to fight on the on the front foot to try and, and get back into it. Uh, Josie Altador was fined for, I guess, getting mad and kicking the ball into the stands when he didn't feel like he should be uh, fouled. Um, the the issue is definitely defensive. Like you say, in terms of like, I just noticed that they are so easy to uh, pick apart with crosses. Yeah. A lot of MLS teams, a lot of MLS teams are able weak out wide, but still. Is Simon injured right now? What's going on there? That's a great question. Uh, So he suffered a new injury, but did he play in this game? Cause I, that's, I agree. They've been really weak on crosses and I keep going like, where's Simon in this? He was there. Oh yeah, he left in the second half. So, yeah, for a team that's invested so heavily in certain areas, it, it's still remarkable that um, that there's such defensive issues. I will say, I thought Mavinga had a better game than he's had. Um, so, maybe that's a bright spot to look forward to. But uh, at Tor- Toronto is going to do okay this season, but 
I, there's still just so many question marks over that defense. I don't see them making it too far in the playoffs because they're still just far too easy to get pulled apart. Yes. Um, New England won their uh, their comeback game after firing a, a manager in, in Cincinnati. Also got a a, a two was it a two one or a two nothing? A two, two one two one. Yeah, the interim uh, Juan Dame is that his name? The twenty nine year old. I think I'm Johan. I'm not sure. Yes. Um, yeah. Rome. Sometimes you just need to fire your coach. I suppose. <laughs> the first goal I love because. It's a ball that hits the crossbar, it goes down, and then bounces off the ground with backspin. Yeah. You can't, you can't play in that one. <laughs> you really can't. I also, God, just like, wow, I have not seen Montreal so easily beaten on a goal since they got cleaned out earlier in the season. That that just seemed to come out of nothing. And it yeah. was sort of one, like, I felt like the a lot of the players were still sort of tying up their shoelaces when it happened, like not quite switched on and all of a sudden they're down one nothing. And that and that sucks for them because like they have been doing so well and, and they are able to score a goal, but it's one of those scenarios where you're pushing and pushing and pushing and by the time you you because you've conceded, by the time you scored, it's too little too late. Your momentum even though you've scored, you yeah. don't really have the momentum. So true. I, I feel like you know, if there was, if you take that first goal away and you add 30 minutes to this game, Montreal comes away with a 3-2 victory. That's not how the game works. Um, no. I think we also learned here, uh, just play Darren Maddox as a winger. He's not a great striker, but can certainly, like, utilize his pace when he plays those low crosses in. Um, it opens up new possibilities for Cincinnati. They're obviously a team that's able to get players into the box so for me that was uh was really good the alashi lama goal that combined on the second i thought was also great from cincinnati um i don't know do you feel like cincinnati is this just sort of uh sometimes all you need is a change do you feel like this is gonna if players are played in their positions we're going to see continued improvement, continued results from them, or do you feel like this one was just kind of uh, a bit of luck? I it's I think it's really hard to say at this point, and I think with Cincinnati is something that's really going to um, it's really going to depend on how results um, pan out in the long term, because so much about the way they built their team and the players that they had was tied into, seemed from the outside to be, you know, built around Alan Koch. And he's uh, he's out, and the the team president is also going to be hiring a new GM, mm-hmm. and he's going to step away from the GM role. And Cincinnati rushed so quickly um, into the league when they were doing well in USL. Mm. Mm-hmm. I wonder, like, you've got to think that they're not thinking of a change in direction. So maybe that maybe the issue is if you if you believe the people that you know that, that talk about what the, the, the in camp environment was like, maybe the issue is just a match day, you know, tactics and preparation issue and you can get something out of the players that you, you've had. But I think that you have noted in past weeks that some of the calls, you know, sometimes they're some some of these players are really great. And some yeah. of these players, you are you are 
taking a leap of faith that Darren Maddox or Kakuta Mane can be as good as you believe they can be or mm-hmm. want they can be, and, and they haven't had the same impact so far. Uh, so it's tough to say whether or not, you know, um, the like, team that they pre-created got exposed for their quality on the pitch or if they got exposed when when things got rough. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like, you know, there's there's positive elements there and, you know, at least some of the team are kind of sticking by each other, at least. Um, that, for me, when I've seen them playing at their worst, you know, I don't see a lot of players at each other's throats. And maybe it was a case of more of being at their their coach's throat than at each other's. They've got a lot of great pieces, um, you know, and 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 positive things to look forward to. For me, it's really, um, really a case of their forwards. I think um, perhaps needing some shaking up there. That I don't know that Adi Maddox and Mane are the guys to get the job done. I think defensively, midfield, they've got a great goalkeeper in Spencer Ritchie. Um, I think that they've got a lot of great elements there that can continue to improve. But yeah, I uh, I agree. It's big question mark still. Another hopeful uh, result came for Chicago, who beat Minnesota two one. Yeah, or two nothing. Sorry. Yeah, the fire just keeps on burning, baby. They're they're coming back uh, with a little bit of success. Um, Minnesota is trying to you know, keep their, their form on, on track. I think it's interesting to, when you look at the two conferences, who, who could rise and who could fall, that you have teams like Chicago and New York that um, really are not near their ceilings. Mm. But there are so many teams above them that are also doing quite well. Um, in, in the West, it's like you look at a Minnesota or a RSL or a Dallas and think these are eminently catchable teams. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I, uh, I thought that, um, you know, Chicago, a, a team that we've talked about lacking some speed, has really turned that one on recently, so that's a good sign for them. Um, the goal from Gaetan is an example of that, just a great break out of the back where all of a sudden you've got four players streaming forward at pace um, and creating three or four options to score that goal. Um, Frankowski is- finds... Uh, does. You know, just bust bust his lungs on that run. Yeah. Um, Frankowski's been great the last few games. Uh, Alexander Katai really likes hitting them posts, apparently, but was able to pull something <laughs> out of this game for them. He seems to just like to warm up with hitting the posts a few times before he scores a goal. The second half for me was a bit of a, a snoozer, and it's too bad Minnesota wasn't able to find their way back into it. But uh, I agree. Yeah, I think Chicago still has more to prove. Um, but the the East is looking like the, the conference that's going to maybe be the tighter one this season, so it'll be a case of, are they able to just keep up with the pack? What I liked with Katai's uh, goal, um, which, you know, we were talking about players defensively committing, mm-hmm. um, that's a scenario where he, he breaks in on the right and everybody on the attacking side is so dialed in 
that they have all the defenders off to cover them as potential options. So Katai not only has an open shot, but he also doesn't have like other bodies that are, you know, he's one-on-one with a goalkeeper and he doesn't really have any bodies that are like hanging around Mm -hmm. because everybody is off expecting that he is going to deal the pass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think he's proven that again, maybe not the most consistent player, but can pull something out of nothing, which is something that Chicago needs in, in some of those moments. And again, it's great to see them, the depth starting to come through in their team a little bit. They've got four or five good goal scorers who can get something out of the game for them. Colorado seemed to have a, a game that we <laughs> have seen, like the Colorado special. This game two, was drunk. Three, a 2-3 home loss. Yeah. This game uh, was RSL. drunk. This was the one with the subtle... The subtle arm work that creates that first penalty, which I guess, I mean, he's the, the, the defender and the player are colliding and he's got sort of the arm up, but it's like, you can, you've seen in so many places that sort of like incidental contact not being called. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a little unfortunate. Um, for me, like I don't know. Colorado's like the only team who can lose every game, but still really fun to watch. Like <laughs> the goal difference is not amazing, but like how many games now have they lost where they've scored at least two goals? It's that's true. It's just incredible. So yeah, Which I mean, it wasn't always the way they were at last year. You know, they, they didn't necessarily have games. Sure. You know, some of, some of those home game losses were miserable. Absolutely, and and this one was very nearly level too. Because uh, if Kamara had not whiffed on his penalty, then they might have actually come away with at least a point out of it. Um, the Colorado made an interesting move last week in picking up a Bubakar from uh, Columbus on a loan, which we don't really? see very often in MLS. An MLS a league loan. Um, and I was really hoping, I was like, that makes a lot of sense for Colorado. Like, yes, get a defender with MLS experience who has a proven track record to just come in and if he needs to, literally just stand in the middle of the box and kick balls out of it. Like, anything for this poor defense. And Colorado looked as bad and as disorganized as they've looked in any match. So, <laughs> let, I mean, let's be fair, let's give Abubakar some time to settle into the new system, but... Uh, if he was meant to be a calming presence, that he was not in this one. And him and the back line just still looked all out of sorts. Yeah. Um, the the goal that Krylock scores is a complete, um, like like one of the, the worst examples this week of ball watching. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, this one for me screams like you need Coach Bombay to get out there and get everybody doing laps because... Just if you're not going to run, uh, and and you're content to just sit and ball watch, you're not going to win games. You know, for me, there's so many pieces that Colorado has that could work in their favor, but it's just the effort in their own uh, half that just seems to be completely lacking. There's no self belief there. There doesn't seem to really be any organization. And mm-hmm. you know, when you see Kamara back as the only player defending and actually tracking his man. 
That that for me is a, a sign <laughs> of problems. Kamara shouldn't be the only player marking his man in his own box. It's actually a uh, Crylock who comes down and finds Sam Johnson, who is the goal scorer. Uh, but when he said when he makes that pass, I swear I saw a goalkeeper. Uh, uh, sorry, a, de- a defender sort of like rotate in place, like ho <laughs> what? <laughs> like do a like a legitimate sort of spit take. <laughs> oh my god, the ball has been played. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you you've you've absolutely isolated a great point in terms of the team being fun to watch because a team that is having these. You know, letting through so many goals and having through these having these uh, these bad losses also has this like Kellen Acosta goal right before right at the end of the first half where um, he there's just such a slick little back pass that he runs onto. Yeah, yeah, and that's like the they, thing too is they're not even just scoring fortuitous goals; they're scoring good goals in open play. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it, you know, if you're like, Nick, what MLS team do you want to see play right now? I'd be like, Colorado. Are they going to win? No, but they're going to score a couple of goals. I know I'm going to see a five-goal game, so let's do it. That's one thing that's interesting. I uh, I might lean on you for two of these because I didn't see them in my, my highlights tag. But it's like, it almost feels like the New Englands and Cincinnati's and Colorado's of the world are... More exciting than Atlanta, who got a one nothing win in Orlando uh, against Orlando, and DC United, who got a one nothing win, absolutely home to Sporting KC. When I would say out of those two games, there wasn't that much there. Um, you know, a, a couple of moments of individual brilliance, but just to, to sort of wrap up with Colorado, I mean, this is a team that scored sixteen goals. They've just conceded yeah. thirty. So, <laughs> <laughs> but. You know, as a, as a reference point, that's only two fewer than LA Galaxy. So, like, they're not struggling to put the ball in the back of the net. Uh, it's just happening at both ends. So, uh, on onwards we go, I suppose, with them. The two the two games that you mentioned with the one nothing results that really weren't particularly amazing to watch. Uh, Atlanta got another much needed win at home. Uh, Pity finally gets his goal. Uh, a great bit of skill from him. Again, a fairly early goal. Orlando holds on. Great fight back from them. Again, a game that, and a result, I think, that's going to not tell us a ton about where Orlando is is right now. They're still a team that's showing some fight and some character and some improvement, but is still beatable. Um, and Atlanta starting to string together the results. But I, I don't think Atlanta's out of the woods just yet. Um, and all it takes is, you know, an injury here or there, um, and a couple of bad road results. That for me is still the big one is can Atlanta turn out these kinds of performances on the road that will dictate what, you know, if they're able to sort of reach that, um, that top four again, but ultimately things are starting to move in, in their favor. And all of a sudden Atlanta fans are, are happy again. And then the DC Sporting Kansas game for me was really j- almost just a sort of Melia versus Hamid uh, grudge, <laughs> grudge match. Um, and, you know, Melia's amazing but can't do it all. And DC is able to just squeak in. Ariola rather late in the game, just finally his goals seem to be coming again. And he's just given all the time and the space in the world to take it basically as a free kick and win this one. But 
you know, SKC beginning to at least look a little better as they get a few players fit and healthy again, but still just looking nowhere like the team they could be with their full squad. Which is really unfortunate because, um, like, if you look at the, the, these teams could be in a different place, uh, in a, in a more different place standings wise, you know, uh, DC is, is tied for the top of the Eastern conference. Mm -hmm. Uh, SKC is, is second to bottom in the West. Um, but they match up. And I think that this also like, you know, bears out for the quality. Um, they match up like pretty evenly for stats in this game. 15 mm. to 11 shots, five to four shots on target, only 50.3 possession for D for DC. So mm -hmm. it's like they, they are both teams with a lot of quality. And, and one of the things that I think is going to be, uh, maybe a boon for them is that they just got Benny Failhaber back. Yeah. Which yeah. is a great, great move. Um, they signed him uh, during the transfer window. He had played there for something, I think, like five seasons. Mm -hmm. um, and was uh, expansion drafted away. I think that um, LA is doing great, but I, I never thought that moving him to Colorado was a great idea in the first place. And I think that he is where he has been the most comfortable and the most successful and Sporting Kansas City needs somebody to uh, to bring that internal structure so bad right now. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a good pickup from Colorado to have him, but Phil Heber's always been a player that works best when he the system around him works, and he's got players that highlight his skills, and he can play to that. In Colorado, I just think the task was too big for him. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm not trying to knock his quality, but I just think it was... He's not the kind of difference maker that perhaps Colorado was hoping for without bringing in other players to help support him in that role. So I, I think the the move back to SKC makes a lot of sense, and I think we're gonna we're gonna see SKC reap the benefits of it for sure. Um, I was very interested in uh, I was oddly interested in, in LA Galaxy versus New York City FC. New York City getting the uh, the two nothing away win mm -hmm. because we've talked so much this year about LA Galaxy feeling like the fortunate sons and it feels like they really couldn't get a break. Absolutely, uh, I mean I might have taken a little bit too much delight in the last couple of weeks of Galaxy results, <laughs> but um, on the on the other side of things here, I thought New York City again things are starting to click for them. Uh, Maxi Morales sinks his penalty, which he is not only done, well, this game, he's, he's taken three penalties and scored only one, but he does it in this one. Um, you know, it's, it's, again, this one's a, a really silly handball from Antuna to choke up a penalty. Um, and speaking of choking, there's a little bit of that involved <laughs> in the box. Uh, but just... Again, overall, we've talked about this Galaxy. Um, they really have been fortunate. And yeah, they're going to continue to beat lesser teams and get points. But they are not as good as those results have shown. And when they come up against a team that actually has a, a bit more of a game plan and isn't just relying on one or two players to bail them out, they, they really, really struggle. And I thought they, they really had Ibra's number in this. He was quiet for most of the match. Um, and 
L.A. wasn't really able to show much else. Like, again, L.A. for me is a team that really only has one gear to go. And when they're not able to play in that gear, they become a team that is not easy to beat, but are certainly beatable. In that early uh, goal that is uh, that's called offside, um, and then the late-on goal where he uh, he hits the bar, he looks very disappointed. <laughs> like, just the body language. Well, yeah. not just very disappointed, because obviously you would be disappointed, but, like, the body language was very, like, was rough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ibra's not happy if he's get if he's not getting the service he, he needs, and um, I think it was the all-access... I think it was with RSL, and that was something Petke pointed out, and he's like... Look, LA is just going to sling in balls into the box to Ibra every single time. So what we don't want to do is isolate Ibra. We want to isolate the wingers. We want to cut off the service to Ibrahimovic into the box. Because if he's not getting service, he's not able to, you know, do the spectacular things only he can do. And I thought that was a really clever thing. And New York was able to do that in this game. It's just shut down all service to Ibrahimovic. Um, so that he's not creating those opportunities. And that, for me, again, is where teams are able to unlock how you beat LA Galaxy. And it, it's not overly complicated. It's not easy, but it's not complicated either. Uh, New York and uh, Dallas had what I thought was a, an entertaining game with the Red Bulls winning 3-1. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm always happy to... Uh, you know, I, I definitely enjoyed the Red Bulls last season, and, and it's been great to see them do a little bit better this year um, after since from how they started the year. Yeah. Uh, it is, it is as, you know, trying to appraise it for quality. Uh, none of these results ever seem like, like the New York's wild attacking style. They have got 35.2% of possession. They've got their their outshot fifteen nine, uh, and they win three one. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not a style that's based on um, on like you know structure or systems. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not giving them enough credit there. But but so many of these just seem like amazing chaos. Would we call it chaotic good or just? I'd say they're chaotic good. Cha- chaotic fortunate. <laughs> Yeah, 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 I I agree. Uh, Dallas from, looked kind of a bit flat in this one, despite the possession, despite the uh, the chances they were able to create. The chances all looked a little kind of like half baked ideas, um, and them relying a little bit more on pace rather than actual finish. Um, the Nealis goal from New York Red Bulls, I I had I had to freeze the frame a few times and and just stop and count. There's eight Dallas players in their box, watching, standing, both feet planted on the ground as Nealis takes that shot at the top of the box. And I'm like, well, that perhaps says, <laughs> as much as New York is creating chaos, that says a lot to me that um, Dallas was... I, I do not know what was up with them. I haven't seen them look quite so out of sorts in a game in a while where, you know, they're a team that's known for their movement, certainly on the ball, but it was not happening off the ball, and they they kind of made this one easy for New York Red Bulls. I felt, um, you know, they were able to get their uh, 
the lone Dal- the lone goal that came for them was just such a beautiful drifting cross over the top um, and the the strikers sitting between the two defenders. So we saw what Dallas can do. But, um, yeah, they sort of came to life in this one, but it wasn't enough. Um, you know, it was great to see Mira in goal. See, you look at him. I'm always interested to see what the, uh, the B-string goalkeepers are up to, because we talk so much about the big names that have been there forever. Um, but then uh, Red Bulls come back and hit them late again. So, I agree. I don't take too much out of this game other than... Uh, if you're going to have eight players in your own box defending, make sure one of them at least is ready to close down the space or attempt to block <laughs> But that's just me. That's just me. Call me old-fashioned. Off the field, um, we had talked a little bit about this with Vancouver um, in sort of the, the continuing situation um, that's been going on between with, with supporters walkouts. Uh, the that definitely happened again. We've got another uh, we we've got another Wednesday game coming up, so I feel like the attendance is going to continue being a talking point. Um, the I'm trying to find the exact posts, but uh, uh, there were more meetings last week mm-hmm. uh, between ownership and uh, supporters groups. Mm-hmm. the The thing that bothers me the most uh, about the points out of that, which were the, they, they're trying to set up an owner with a meeting between the owners and the players without mm-hmm. management. Yeah. And, and that hasn't, uh, that hasn't happened. This is, these are from the Southsiders statement on, on, on the meetings and how it happened. Uh, they say that they, the Southsiders disagree with the, the media strategy, um, of the Whitecaps not talking mostly about it or, or talking only through specific statements mm-hmm. um, as opposed to, you know, making people available to talk about it. Uh, quote, our, our belief would be, unfortunately our belief that the club would be better served publicly answering questions from all media rather than just directly from us supporters is a point of strong disagreement. But Whitecaps are confident their media strategy is the best way for them to handle things. Um, I think that that's a big issue because the it's- whole... The they're getting. Is, is the, yeah, I, I feel like I can say this without getting us into trouble. They're getting terrible legal advice and communications advice. Terrible. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe not terrible legal advice, but certainly terrible communications advice. Uh, it, it. How many examples do we need? Not even globally, but specifically in British Columbia, of this approach, it does not work. It's not the right thing to do, and. It, it will get them burned publicly and financially in the end. It, and that, that's, I think, already beginning to show, is, is to, to try to do everything behind closed doors. Um, they've, been, they've been acting very sh- interestingly in how they've regarded these things. A lot of Vancouver reporters weren't invited to the f- press conference where they did try to answer some questions, were locked out. There were some questions being asked. You can find it all on on Twitter about, uh, you know, reporters who are trying to get in, who are being called unprofessional despite long histories with the organization. Uh, Specifically J.J. Adams, who's been covering this for the Vancouver province. Yeah, absolutely. I I feel like if if you want a a take on 
reporters simply trying to do their jobs and cover this. J.J. Abrams has, Abrams has been doing a fantastic job of that. Um, a- Adams. Abrams is the film director. Yes. J.J. Abrams has not done <laughs> sweet all for this. J.J. Adams. The, God. The, uh, the, the, whole, the whole issue is the whole critique is that not enough was made public in 2008. And, and this led to a coach continuing to be continuing to be employed in the present day. Mm-hmm. So to try and, and take the denial, I would I would analyze that their strategy is to try and deny the story at oxygen, which is does not really demonstrate to me that they've learned the lesson if they if they're happy with that. Absolutely, um, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We like categorically, we've seen it. It doesn't work to just feel like this thing is going to go away on its own. It doesn't work. The numbers, the numbers that I would analyze, it's really tough to actually put a number on what the issue has been attendance wise, because there have been so few games and so many of the games could be involved in statistical outliers and the, um, and they're doing gate counts and gate counts if it's seasons passes or tickets sold if the people don't show up it's still counted as attendance so uh, that can also play an impact the number that i had was uh last year's attendance was 20 21,946 was the average and the first 3 home games of the season were all above 20,000 and the average was 24,920 um, the next three games, the three games in which walkouts have happened are 17,038, 17,835, and 18,300, which was the, the Portland game. And I feel like that's probably so, pretty close, but uh, it's probably, I would maybe take another five or 700 off of that. Might be a little bit closer to reality, but I think those numbers are probably pretty close. So essentially, uh, they had, before this had started, made a gain in terms of average attendance uh, that the, the average attendance is now back at 21, 9, So essentially they made a gain through those first three games of an average of about 3000 people. And they have now lost those 3000 people on average per game. Yeah. Um, if you, it's tough, it's tough. You can't, you can't number one, you can't absolutely 100% rely on that. But if you are looking to, for a number that matches what you see when you look at the, when you are watching the games. Uh, and again, this is going to be a Wednesday game, even though it's against Atlanta. Um, it's going to be interesting to, I'm sure that this is something people are going to be talking about. Yeah. Great, uh, great piece in the athletic. Uh, they just interviewed Karen McCormick, mm-hmm. um, an amazing story about her having written the initial blog post mm-hmm. in a whole foods in Vancouver. And, trying to decide whether or not to post it. And she says that she ran into one of her former teammates at the Whole Foods mm. and asked, uh, did you have this coach? And then the individual said, allegedly, I'm in therapy because of that coach. Mm. And, uh, and immediately that was her impetus to press the publish button. Yeah. And, it, and, and it's, I think it's so, so easy to still forget the impact that these things have. Um, of course, you know, all none of this has been proven in a, a court of law, and that's important. 
but it, it's really easy to lose sight of uh, the fact that there's impact on actual people. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that's the big thing that people are still waiting for is that um, it, it really doesn't feel like the club has properly addressed that and continues to operate in more or less a silo that's really looking to protect its own interests. And people are asking for answers and asking for responsibility, and it's clear by the actions of the former players and by supporters groups that they don't feel like the answers are being given. Absolutely. Um, Until next week, where can we find you online? You can find me online tweeting at JJ Adams uh, at That's So MLS <laughs> and on Instagram as well at That's So MLS. Where can we find you? You can find me on the web at Team Bates on Twitter, www.team-bates.com. I am an editor at Howler Magazine, whatahowler.com, and you can find this podcast at That's So MLS.com and at Apple Podcasts, wherever great podcasts are found. Yeah, please rate, review, and subscribe. And also, we should say, just like, thanks for all the support, because um, we haven't talked about this on the air, but uh, we've had a nice little bump this year. We've been kind of, uh, you know, we're not viral yet or anything, but it's been nice to see the support growing, and I know that's because people are, uh, you know, it's word of mouth with podcasts. So people who are telling friends and, and listening all that, we appreciate the support. We truly do. Thank you. Thanks, guys. And uh, you, us, and all of our new friends, don't get sent off. Don't do it. Did anybody even get sent off this week?